last week, understanding that our culture has sort of hijacked marriage and sex and understanding what it really is. We reestablished last week that God did indeed make sex and he designed it for a man and a woman within the bounds of marriage. And this is what it was created for. He is the original author of it. If you missed last week, what we decided to do was talk about some lies that our culture has embraced and then some truths that we needed to embrace to kind of kick off this series, and all that's going to matter, and if you missed it, go to our website, uh, which is newwalk.church. We have an app as well that you can get on Android or Apple devices that you can download. You can watch past sermons there, or you can go to YouTube, and you can see our past sermons to catch up on this series by going back last, to last week's time together. But one of the things I was talking about is how we got to understand that you know, if we're going to make a journey towards purity, and I was basically sharing, if you're somebody here in our audience last week, I said, and you want to make a journey towards purity and, and move away from this unhealthy uh, thing going on in our culture sexually, uh, of course, God welcomes, receives you with open arms. But I shared last week that a challenge in that, one challenge, is being around right people. And I mentioned, like, hey, you might be dating somebody, and you know that they don't see this the way you see it. Uh, they have a very ungodly way of treating you and treating your body. And so I just said, you know, you may have to break up with somebody, so let me just share with you a message I got this week from last week. Ready? Pastor Gary, after church last Sunday, I was supposed to meet a man for lunch who I had been dating. You gave me a lot to think about last Sunday in church. So I went home from church, and I realized his actions were not one that honored God and my body, so I broke up with him. Yeah, all right. Good start right there, for sure. Uh, I'm going to continue digging into this a little bit more, and I want to look at a scripture that anytime you know, I'm wanting to kind of get at least into this topic in some way or another, I oftentimes go to Song of Solomon, and this is a rich text. I think in, in some church uh, people, theologians will say, well, this is a book of the Bible that's about God and Israel. No. Once you go through what we're going to read today, you're going to be like, I'm pretty sure I know what that was about. And so I'm going to walk through this, and we're going to kind of see, and, and, and of the past, for different topics, I've talked about it in different ways. What I'm going to do in our time together today, something a little bit different, I'm going to take uh, things out of one particular chapter, Song of Solomon chapter 4, and what you're going to see in there is kind of a reference to what makes the very best sexually within the bounds of marriage. Kind of some tips for this. So maybe you're single. Well, one day, this will be very applicable to you. Uh, maybe you're married. Of course, this will be applicable. So you, everybody here should be taking notes, but we're going to kind of see kind of this roadmap in Song of Solomon 4 for what makes it best within, again, within marriage. What we know is because God did create this, he's created it in such a way to bring a, a, a very close, great closeness with our spouses, uh, a, a closeness uh, together. We were designed through the way God set this up is that you know, our spouse would, would be everything, fulfilling everything in that area of our life. And this becomes something that can be very, very powerful in a marriage if you understand it well. But let's be honest, it can also be a source of great conflict in a marriage. And so we have to understand it. And I was thinking about, you know, our time together today. And since we are talking about marriage, I always like to 
give little helpers, you know, to people who are maybe married here in our audience. In fact, I have a book I want to give away to uh, maybe our newest newlywed here in the audience. And I don't know who it is, so I'm just going to shout this out. Or maybe, like, if you, I've been married, say, in the last six months. Is there anybody that's been married? You'd raise your hand and say you've been married in the last six months. Anybody? Raise your hand. Okay, we got over here. Anybody else that I'm missing? Oh, so I got over here. I, uh, was there two sets of hands over here or just one? In the last six months, you've been married? No, but anybody else can beat that? Oh, no, no. All right, so I have a book. If somebody can walk that over there, I don't know, Lee, if you can give that to her, that'd be great over there. Congratulations. There you go. Guess what I'm giving her? A book on sex and marriage. Yeah, she's gonna need to know about that, both of them. I, I have another book I wanna give away to maybe somebody who's been married the longest. So, Let's find out. Is there anybody in our audience who's been married 50 years? I need a Okay, first of all, 50 years? 50? Wow. Okay. All right, so we got to work through this. 55? Any 55 married? Okay, whoa, whoa. 55. Anybody else? Okay, another one, 55. Okay. Here? 56. 57. 58, 59, 60, we're down to one, how many, huh, okay, and 60, how many years total, 67 years, y'all, yeah, that's awesome, that's awesome, all right, would y'all send this book back to them as well, thank you for that. And guess what I have for them? A book on marriage and sex. That's right. Because you know what? It doesn't matter how long we've been married. We got to be paying attention to this stuff. And so we're going to walk through this together. Let me uh, just kind of help us go back and understand just the richness of, of way, the way God made this. Let me take you to, if we, if we study historical writings about marriage, uh, going back to Old Testament times and how God set all of this up. If you could just, if I could just bring you to the place of, of seeing this here visually. Uh, first of all, imagine the ceremony. Uh, during uh, History tells us this is kind of how it went down. All right? So the, the husband and the wife would be facing the priest. And so you could, could it was very similar to what we have now, right? We have the groom, often he'd be on, over here on the right. If we're facing the priest and the, and, and the bride be over here on the left from the audience view, and we would uh, see the priest there, they would approach the priest, and uh, something interesting, I mean, this is a special occasion, and so something that was a part of that is oftentimes the, you would see that the groom would have a sword on his hip during the ceremony. And there's a symbolism to that, but a reality as well. He would wear the sword to fend off any enemies that were trying to wreck the ceremony. And so he's like, yeah, if you get near my, my bride-to-be, I'm going to cut you. Uh, basically, is like, I got the sword right. But there's a symbolism as well. And the symbolism was, I'm a defender of my family. Not just physically, but spiritually as well. Like, I'm the leader, and I'm going to fight for this thing. They would turn, very similarly, when the ceremony was over, they would turn towards the audience. 
and they would be arm in arm like we might do today. Now, this would put the uh, groom in a very different positioning because now his arm that might be used for the sword for protection is now in unity with the bride. And as they faced the crowd, it would be now be, okay, he's a little defenseless because his arm is taken, but as he faces the crowd, the new symbolism is, hey, the crowd's got, got you now. The families that are there, the unity of the marriage and the husband and the wife, like their family's there, and what they would say is, you know what, we're here, we're here to fight for your marriage. We're here to fend off the enemy as well. And so the families would join together, and their job would be, they, they're praying for this couple from now on. They're, they're going to support, they're going to care for, they're going to protect and defend, fight for this couple, because this new couple was going to be powerful, two bloodlines joining together to make something even more spectacular. It's, it, it's beautiful when you think about it. Like, we're your defender now. Then something else would happen, and this is a little intense here, but I'll, I'll share it with you. The bride and the groom would go off, not, uh, not too long, not too much time would wait, and it would go off to something like a chamber. You might consider it like a bridal chamber of some sort. And they would go into that bridal chamber, and they'd wear something like a white, they put something like a white sheet down on a surface and they would consummate the marriage there on that white sheet. And because the woman was a virgin, a blood would shed onto that white sheet and it would spill there. And then they would take the white sheet, all right, after that was finished, they would take the white sheet and hang it out the window so everybody could see and they would cheer. Aren't you glad we don't do that anymore? Woo! Oh my goodness. And then a seven-day party would start. That'd be kind of good. I'm just sharing with you the richness of this. You can get just a little bit of history here. It's powerful. I'm going to read some text that supports all of that that I just shared with you. And as a matter of fact, there's a guy who does a commentary and uh, he said this about the scriptures we're going to be looking at today. Here's what he said. These passages are not suitable for reading in church. And scripture union wisely omits them from the family readings. What he's saying is here like, this is some juicy stuff. And I don't know if we should share it in church. And, and I think uh, my response to that is, no, we should. Because for a long time, maybe we were just immature. I don't know. But the church would say, ooh, this is too much. You know, we, we can't share this in church. We can't talk about it. And so because, like I said last week, the church won't talk about it, culture has taken it. So, oh, church, you don't want to talk about it? We'll talk about it the way we want to talk about it. And so as we go through this, I want to give you, as we kind of unpack these juicy scriptures, I'm going to give you six things that I think will cause us to have better, great marital sex. And uh, yeah, God says, I, I made this. And God says, God says to Adam, I'm going to give you Eve. It's going to be amazing. And Adam says, all right, let's go. And he's like, how great is our God? Like, this is awesome. And so let's see uh, some of the goodness that we know God has set forth with sex and marriage. And so I put in your notes, here's the first thing in your notes. Great marital sex starts before the bedroom. Before anybody puts a hand on anybody, there's something long before that. And we're going to see here in just a little bit, we're going to see as we go through this, a courtship 
in, after the wedding, a courtship, a praise, a, 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 a words that are, are being used to encourage and, and build up. As a matter of fact, we're going to look at 16 verses in our time together. He doesn't even begin to be like trying to lay a hand on her till verse 11. The first 15 verses are from him. The very last verse is from her in the text. Here's verse 1. Here's what he says to her. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. Now, I'll just stop and say this. This is probably not a pickup line we're using any longer. Look at your beautiful goat hair. So we probably just take that you know, right off the table, maybe find some other way to express that. But you get the sense here, like he's, he's using his words powerfully. Here's a verse two. He says, he says, your teeth are like a flock of sheep shorn coming up from the washing. Each has its twin, not one of them is alone. He says, you got your teeth. Wow. And maybe that was a big deal during that time because because they didn't have a dentist, and so he's celebrating full set of teeth right here. This is already nice. You understand he's complimenting her? I think, men, we, we, would, do, we would be wise to learn from this. We'd be wise to learn that there are some things that we can do that fill her tank in other ways, emotionally, Spiritually, all kinds of ways that help before all of this ever happens. And I think men, because we're wired physically, we forget this. I've been on this journey now. I've been married to my wife, Sean. We've been married 26 years. And in that journey, we've been still learning. And especially me, you know, I'm a slow learner, so I'm learning things along the way. But one of the things that she has taught me and we've learned together is our love languages. Mine was a little easier to figure out, but, but hers, I had to learn. And my wife, as a part of things that, that kind of fill her up, one of the things that she, uh, I learned is that she values when I do something called acts of service. And what this means, I'll just, just help you understand this, acts of service means like she values me doing my part and helping her out along the way. So when stuff is needed to be, like for example, and some of you ladies can relate to this, okay, just as one example about this. Her mindset is like this. If the house is cluttered, everything's cluttered. All right? So she's kind of, that's her thing. And so when I step in and I do things, you know, like when, when the babies were, were younger, I would, uh, you know, I wouldn't come home and say, oh, I've had a long day because... Well, because you haven't, because you stayed home and took care of kids. That's ridiculous. And so I wouldn't come home and just say, okay, uh, you know, you, you, I need to go into a place of quiet now when I enter the home. No, I would step in and I would engage. And I would engage with the kids and the diapers and the house and all that stuff. And she expressed like, hey, I see that. Like you are investing in our home. You're investing in our family. You're doing your part. Once I realized how all this made the night go better, I couldn't wait to clean when I got home. <laughs> I'm just telling you right now. But you know, learning, learning the things that fill her emotional tank, learning these words that make a difference to her. Guys, let me teach you about something interesting. I don't know if you know it. There's a thing out there. Uh, this is going to be newsflash to many of you. It's called non-sexual touching. Yeah, I know. It's like, uh, what is that? 
she expressed, like, she, she likes me to hold her hand or, you know, put my arm around her, not so that it will lead to something, right? right? She doesn't want me to, to grope her. But she just wants those, those moments. So it was just learning these things. And folks, it happens by communicating strongly in the marriage. Uh, you can take the love language test. It's free. You can learn online the, the love language of your spouse. And that is a huge help. Verse 3, it says this. Your lips are like scarlet ribbon and your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like halves of a pomegranate. I mean, geez, he's, he's doing good right here. And he, he's, he's not doing this for show. You, you, you understand it. Like, this is the sincerity. Women can read the fraud. Uh, you come walk home from the end of the day, and the first thing you do, you walk in the house, hey, hey, baby. You know, like, she says, come on, this is not, not going to do it. Like, they, they understand when it's real. They understand when it's a part of the journey of learning and growing uh, together. And so we're learning this about what it is that causes romance to happen before the romance, the things that make a difference inside the home, of course, we want to do the things, you know, before the bedroom that look, we want to look good. We want to, we want to look good for our spouses. We want to, we want to take care, try to take care of ourselves and, and do this. Always, men are always saying, yeah, well, you know, I wish she would do a better job of kind of looking pretty for me. And, and probably some truth to that, all right? But men, before you ask her to kind of look a certain way for you, you maybe you could get a bath. You know, that might be helpful and maybe shave a little bit or potentially you know you, maybe you've got one eyebrow and you could make two with a little bit of work you know just I'm talking about maybe you might decide you know here's what we're going to do we're going to get the you know the cat out of my nose and the chia pet out of your ear and you could do kind of your part in that journey as well of course ladies always paying attention to this stuff yes you you want to pay attention to to that and and I've said this before uh, ladies if the president of the United States or the president that you may like the most said he is going to come dine at your home at, uh, for, for a time at your house. You would prepare everything and you would, you would tr prepare to look your very best. Ladies, he's more than the president of the United States. He's your husband. And so you, you're doing your part as well. And so ladies, that you might have to shave your legs. I'm just saying like... <laughs> I don't know, you might have to shave your pits, or if you don't like shaving your pits, maybe some pigtails under there, you know, kind of look pretty nice as well. But you're caring about doing what you need to do. Now, here's the second thing in your notes. Uh, you want to embrace the fact that great marital sex is tender. It's tender. The approach and all that's involved is tender. It goes on in verse five, it says, your two breasts are like fawns, like two fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Okay. <laughs> Men, let me help you see the approach here. It's, it's gentle. I'll put it in hunting terms because we have some men who are hunters here. If you're hunting and you look out and you see two fawns, you don't go, hey, Scare them away. There's a gentleness there. All right, this this is an expression of of gentleness and tenderness being played out here in this moment. Men, we have to recover 
the art of tenderness. Great lovemaking in marriage is tender. It's about respecting your spouse. You don't make her do something uncomfortable. You don't put her in positions, make her feel like she's cheap or used. Communication and all of this is important as well. It should be tender. Here's the third thing I put in your notes. It should be passionate. Great marital sex is passionate. Absolutely. In verse six, it goes on, it says, until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Listen to this guy. He's like, all night long. Woo! I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. I, don't, I cannot even just tell you what that is. Let's just move on. But let's just look at the heart of this scripture right here. It, you, it's one of passion. There's a history uh, in the church and And even history in general that would say to you, you know, the reason that we have sex is because we procreate. And I'm sure there's some truth to this, but God gave us sex within marriage beyond just procreation. It's to be something passionate and happening. It goes beyond just having children, right? Because there comes a time in our age where we don't have children anymore, but we don't stop. It's because God gave this to be something as a gift for, for humanity, for men, and, and for women. And yet we understand, like, okay, maybe we're newlyweds and we have that passion, but I think all of us in this room understand that there could be a drifting from that passion over time. And, and, and how does that happen? It's pretty simple. We get busy. And we have kids. And we got bills and we got a mortgage and we got to work and we got to do other things. And then all of a sudden we come home and we're tired and the, next day, and the next day builds on the next day. And over time, life just happens to the point where we've stopped romancing. We've stopped caring about her or him and the compliments stop. And then other things begin to stop. I told our church many, many years ago that Sean and I, like, we had to be intentional about a lot of things, and, and especially times physically as well. When our kids were younger, uh, you know, I, I shared this many years ago. Like, well, all right, if Barney would last 30 minutes, it's like, okay, put the kids in front of Barney, and we're going to go somewhere else. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying, right? I don't know if some of you understand this. And, uh, and so this worked, of course, it got a little messy for me one time. We were at Best Buy, and there was like 20 screens, and Barney was on. And I got really confused about the moment. I'm like, I'm not sure what we should be doing right here. But I'm talking about, hey, we, we have to fight for these things in the marriage. Here's the fourth thing. Great marital sex is built on absolute trust trust. It really is, isn't it? Like, this is probably one of the greatest struggles in the bedroom because of so much broken trust. Uh, uh, Where there's full trust, there's full intimacy. And where there's full intimacy, this is where you get the very best in marriage and with sex in marriage. And God has made this to be something so powerful. You You look at verse seven and you see it right here. It says, all beautiful you are, my darling. There is no flaw in you. What's he doing right here? He's revealing, he's using words. He's revealing security to her. He's sharing secure, he's building that into her. 
in Song of Solomon chapter one, she reveals that she feels some kind of way about her skin because she's been exposed to the sun and it's dried and damaged her skin. And so she expresses that. Here we are in chapter four and they're in this setting and he says, you are beautiful just the way God made you. And when a woman understands that, that you feel that way about her, it's a game changer. When you can express to her, I wanna reassure you, there is nothing I would change about you. It's powerful because, guys, we gotta understand, we're in a culture today where women are constantly comparing themselves to other women. And what do they look like, and what do they look like, and then they try to become what other women are. And when we speak that security into them, it causes them to understand, like, you know what, I, I don't have to compromise, I don't have to do, the, like, okay, I, I can be comfortable in the skin and way God has made me, ladies, men need that security, and especially I'm talking about words right now. Men can get insecure. In fact, I'll just say this, and no man wants to agree with this probably, or many might not. Men are emotional about this stuff when it comes to sex. It, there's a man right now, no, 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 I'm not. It's all physical. I said last week, I can prove it that it's not physical. And I did some stuff, it's not just physical. And we talked about, gave an example last week. And so I won't do that. But here's how I can prove that sex is emotional for men. If you're married and your wife uh, rejects you multiple times, you get emotional about it. You just do. I know you don't want it, but you do. And uh, ladies, if you use the wrong words towards him, it affects him emotionally, it, it deep as well. And it sets him off in a different way. And so we, we see, we understand, like we, we're paying attention to our words and in the marriage, words matter, ladies. I know you might think that there's something unusual about him, that he must be really sick because he likes sex a lot. No, he's wired that way. And it's important for these conversations and things to be happening as we work through things because, ladies, you were made to be the final, you are his only place he goes to for sexual fulfillment. You are made for, like, like that's part of something that's important in the marriage. His focus shouldn't be on any, you, on any other woman, it's, it's you. And it was meant for that. And so it's important to make sure, again, conversations, healthy conversations as a part of this. What ends up happening in our culture today is married people drift from this and there become cracks in the foundation. And he goes to work or she goes to work and attention is given and things begin to happen. And it's just one way, it's many, there are many ways, but it's one way the enemy gets in and starts doing some stuff and gets involved communication, I've talked about that several times. Sometimes we go through seasons of life where our bodies are changing. And yeah, and we have to talk through it because we don't want to portray complete rejection. We have conversations about things. And a lot of times when these changes are happening, people aren't talking and explaining and sharing together. One of the things that we see, whether it's sex or so many other things that couples fail to communicate, leads to kind of struggles in, in marriage. And, and we, whether, it's, whether it's, again, what we're talking about here or other things, our church always wants to come alongside you and say, how can we help in the marriage? We have a little gathering we do on Friday nights. It's called Re-Engage. 
and this is for married couples. And I shared last week that they just started, and they're like, we have room for several more couples. Pastor Gary, can you share from the stage that re-engage is happening? I want to do it again here because they said, we'll, we'll hold off like one more week. And last week, 12 couples said they were interested, two showed up. I'll put it out there again. If you're interested in re-engage, here's what you can do. You're right, re-engage on the back of that little connect card you got when you came in. Circle it, drop it in the bucket, and say, uh, we need some help in our marriage. Or we have people that go to re-engage and just want to strengthen their marriage. We have newlyweds that go there and want to get some more foundations for their marriage. It's open for anybody in any area of marriage, but maybe that's something you and your spouse need to take advantage of. If you also want more information, you can go to the Connect table. On your way out on the left-hand side of the hallway, right out there's this long table, and there's a place there where you can get more information about re-engage. Or again, put it on your Connect card, and we'll get in touch with you this week. Trust is huge. Guys, when a woman can't trust us, she holds back. Guys, when you look at porn, it affects her. When you say hurtful things about how she looks, it affects her trust in you. It's huge. When you abuse her verbally, physically, emotionally, it affects this stuff. And when you are unfaithful to her in any way, Trust is broken, and it is deeply impactful to that relationship. And on top of it all, the times where she's been damaged and broken from previous men in her life and how that's affected her as well. So we're remembering that trust is a key piece to this. Here's the fifth thing. We need to understand that great marital sex is sensuous. In Verse 9, it goes on and says this. You've stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. This is a reference to the unity now of the new family. This is a reference to um, we are with God, we are together now as a couple. And so he says, he says, you've stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes. He says, with one jewel of your necklace, how delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine, the fragrance of your perfume, than any spice. Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride, milk and honey are under your tongue. I need a drink of water after that. Wow. This guy's smooth. And it's real. And some of you men are like, well, I can't talk like that. Pastor Gary, I ain't no Romeo. Well, you married Juliet. And you need to know that she cares about she cares about right words. She cares about the sensuous things, or she at least cares that you see her the right way. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we, we can mess up those opportunities to, to really build that sensuous part into the relationship. I, I remember one time, you know, I planned on taking Sean out for a little date, and we trying trying to set it all up. And of course, as a man, you know, I've got this night planned where, uh, you know, we're going to leave the house at six, and we'll be here at this place at this time, we'll be at this place at this time. And so I got the evening kind of planned out. And, uh, you know, I get ready, and get ready pretty quick, because that's what guys do. And so I'm ready, and I'm out in the living room, and I'm sitting there, and I'm I'm waiting, and I knew we had to leave at 6, and it's way past 6, and she's still in the bathroom getting ready. And so here's what I hollered out. 
hey, what's taking you so long in there? We got to go. You know, like, oh, geez. Before I just remind you how stupid that was, here's what was hurtful. The next words out of her mouth, I was just trying to look beautiful for you. This <laughs> was a killer for the night, as you could imagine. And as a part of this journey together, we see, again, we've talked about words, we've talk, we're talking about actions, we're talking about times where we have to care, and times where we take the steps to go the extra mile with the language we use and the things that we try to accomplish. There are people right here now, you say, Pastor Gary, I would really love to have date nights, but we don't have no money. Well, again, you got to get a little creative about the situation. All right, because you're going you're gonna to fight for it, all right? So you, you figure out a way to have food at home, and you figure out a way either to get the kids to another house or uh, a you know, babysitter, or you're going to start dinner at 6.30, the kids are there at the house, I give them a big thing of NyQuil, and just, uh, no, don't do that. That's, that's not advice that's real, so please, please don't do that. But I'm talking about Figuring it out, guys, figuring out how we can have these opportunities together. And ladies, because he's visual and because he cares about things, again, I mentioned this earlier, you're doing your part. I don't know if anybody, you, any of you remember a, a character many, many, many years ago, and his name was Gomer Pyle. Does anybody remember Gomer Pyle? Yeah, some younger people are like, what? Anyways, Gomer Pyle, when he'd get on the scene, he'd say, surprise, surprise, surprise. Well, ladies, you could have some surprises for him. All right, it's because he's visual. All right, ladies, because he's visual, okay, you might have to upgrade, you know, some things underneath. Like what I'm saying is the 12-pack of 299 Walmart panties may not be the avenue here, you know? Like you may have to figure something out. So, okay, you know what I'm talking about. It starts in the bedroom, it's tender, it's passionate, it's built on trust, it's sensuous. And then here's the last thing. Great marital sex is holy. Man, when you have a man and a woman in marriage chasing after God, unified sexually, it is the most... Some, some of you don't believe me because you don't know. You don't know how powerful that is. And I get it. You don't know because you don't know. You, you're kind of dabbling in low-level things. But when it's in the bounds of marriage, two people chasing after God, it, it's another level. And it is right, and it is pure, it is holy, and it is powerful. Here's what it says in verse 12. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring. You are spring in clothes. You are a sealed fountain. He's, he's saying, you saved yourself for me. He's, you're a virgin. You, you saved yourself for me. You're pure. In verse 13, he says, your plants are an orchard of pomegranates, a choice fruit, and all the finest spices. 
there's a regular conversation in this text about gardens. And in prior texts and parts of Song of Solomon, it talks about, you know what we got to do? We got to keep the foxes out of the vineyard. Because the foxes trample on the vineyard. And what is the foxes? It's the things of our spiritual adversary, Satan. He gets involved in the playground sexually and tramples over the vineyard. We see here this portrait of a healthy garden, healthy product, because somebody cared about sexual purity. It says, you are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. And then she says to him in verse 16, awake north wind and come south wind, blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread abroad. Let my lover come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. Wow. I don't know. Maybe that commentary guy I shared at the beginning, he said this wasn't suitable for church. Maybe, maybe he's right. Maybe we shouldn't talk about it. Or as I was expressing earlier, I think he's wrong. We should talk about it and know these things and learn these things, rebuild these things in our marriage. I want to speak to a people here who maybe this is just as I shared last week that there's something missing in this area of purity in your life like you messed this up a long time ago maybe let me take you back to that scene that I shared with you at the very beginning about the marriage and how that blood was spilled on that white sheet that signified a covenant and a union a holy union together in marriage see here's the thing 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ went to the cross and spilled blood for a new covenant, for a new union between God and humanity to bring us together, to cause us to be one together with God. And though, as I said last week, maybe your sexual purity past history is one that is crimson red, as the scripture said, he can take that thing that is crimson red in your sexual history and cause it to be as though it is white as snow. And this is where we lean in to our creator and say, God, I admit that I have missed this in my life. I've made decisions that were not right, not holy, not pure. And God, I'm ready to turn to your way in my life. And I've watched as people have embraced that new covenant with Jesus and they've been on a path of purity for years, as I said last week, to, for years into merit, to go into marriage, where they've embraced uh, some fact that they had some infidelity in their marriage, but have healed and resealed their marriage through purity and following Jesus. And it happens in this church and I've watched it over and over. So it's real. Let me pray with you now as we finish our time together. God, we come to you and we know that we, um, just right now, there are believers, there are people in this audience who, um, again, they're maybe even married and they know there's a, a struggle going on here in their life. God calls us out to confess to him, to admit confession, that's what that is. God, I have messed this up. I am messing this up. I've made some mistakes. Maybe you're not married. I want to get on this right path. God calls us out. God, you're calling out right now into confession. 
between us and you just right now from where people are seated. But we know it's more than confession. God then calls us to something called repentance, a turning away of the way we've been living and turning towards God. So I pray right now, if you're a believer, he's calling you out, you're admitting, admitting, and you're saying, God, now with your power and your strength and your forgiveness, I move towards you to live differently. I'm gonna begin that journey of right living sexually today, Lord. Maybe you're not a believer. You're kind of wallowing in that sin, separated from God. Certainly, relationally, physically, emotionally, sexually, there's, there's damage there. God says, I can come into your life right now and cleanse that sin and put you on a path beginning today of purity. What do we do? We accept the blood that was shed on the cross, the gift of Jesus Christ, so that we might come into relationship with God through the forgiveness of our sin. We might be washed, cleansed of our sin. We take God's hand now because of Jesus and we go on a new journey with him. God, right now, somebody in this room is making that decision to walk away from that sinful life and to begin a new journey with you. They're saying right now in this time, God, I believe and trust in the gift of Jesus and I am turning my life towards you now from this day forward. And we give thanks for that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.